We're talking about how a person sees another person. How it becomes race is when you think a person that doesn't look like you is not as human as you are. Racism can go both ways. If you have that not only in your mind, if you have that in your heart. That was Reverend Arthur Faber, and you're listening to Closer Look. In this episode, we share sounds from the local protests and interviews with several young black men and women from the North Fork. They tell us about their experiences, what they see, how they feel, in this time, in this place, in their words. I've lived here on the North Fork my entire life, and I've experienced racism on the North Fork throughout my 27 years of living here. This is Kenny Black of Mattituck. On May 31st, just six days after the death of George Floyd, he attended a protest in Riverhead. There, he joined with others to march from the Peconic Riverfront to Town Hall. I never thought that my voice would be heard or would actually make a difference. You look at just the platforms and the money that people have to silence all the other voices that would like to be heard. And you look at some of the celebrities like, you know, Colin Kaepernick and what he was trying to protest against and how his protest got misunderstood and turned into something completely different that never had anything to do with the flag or disrespecting America as a whole. He was just trying to shed light on a situation that we are still to this day trying to shed light onto. So it wasn't until I went to that protest in Riverhead and I saw a young girl named Anubia, I believe her name is, who held the the Riverhead protest. And when I saw that she was leading it at such a young age, it inspired me to do something in my own community. So Mm -hmm. I just decided to create a page and invite all of my friends and ask them to share the word and spread the word and let's get together as a community and try to figure out a solution. I didn't think that I would be able to reach this many people and be able to get so many people out in support in such short time. Uh, I can't even put it into words right now what this means to me personally. Um, A lot of you who already know me know that I've been a North Fork native and a part of this community since the day I was born. And it's a place that I truly do call home. It's my mom, by the way. We are here for a specific reason, and it does start with Black Lives Mattering. And that is not to take any credit away from any other life, whether they're white, Asian, Hispanic, Chinese, whatever you want to call it. We all matter, but we can't all matter until Black Lives Matter. And I think. I just wanted the people that wanted to be able to be a part of a change or help create change, have a a chance to do so. Uh, A lot of people are worried about how people may perceive them and their idea of it, especially across all medias where you're seeing what was 
to be peaceful protests turned violent, whether it was started from the police or someone with a negative agenda in the crowd or whatever it may be. I have a twin brother who lives in Brooklyn and he wanted to be a part of some of the protests, but going out there meant risking his life because you don't know what everyone else is thinking. So I decided the best way to start is to start in your own community and start small and have everyone on the same page. I I want people to be more aware of what they're saying and what they're doing in this community. Uh, We have a chance right now to change the way that people are perceived on the North Fork, especially the people of color. Uh, I'd like it to be more unified. Even after I started this group, I've people that I went to high school with, they know who I am as a person and they know what I stand for, but they still don't want to be a part of this group because of what their friends may think or how they may be viewed in their other um, social circles. So it's it's pretty sad that they don't want to be a part of the change and they're kind of just going to stay complacent because let's be real, um, it doesn't affect them as a, a, a white male. They, they've got nothing to worry about. As a 17-year-old, what was your reaction when you saw the George Floyd video? It wasn't as if I was shocked because of the fact that this happens pretty much on a daily. We constantly see news and articles on social media and, you know, it's it's always out there. But just to see the video, it, it kind of, it is heartbreaking. It's, no one wants to see that. It's unexplainable. That's Jayla Moore, a soon-to-be senior at Greenport High School, who was invited by her pastor to speak at a candlelight vigil at Clinton Memorial AME Zion Church earlier this month. We spoke last week with her and two other Greenport natives, Rynice Smith, a 27-year-old now living in Bellport, and 32-year-old Carrie Brown of Riverhead. I cried. I wept for him. It was disgusting to see... The, well, all I could see at the first um, time was that one officer kneeling on his neck and to see the other officer playing security while George was dying and to see him actually die was just heartbreaking. That was Miss Brown. This is Miss Smith. I was hurt. Anybody, any one of us, if we sat down and kneeled for eight minutes and 46 seconds, our bodies would We wouldn't be comfortable. Your knees would hurt, regardless of whatever shape you're in. Your knees, your body, everything would feel uncomfortable. To see that happen to someone, all all I could feel was hurt. And the fact that it could happen 
to us daily because of the color of our skin, because of a predicament that we did not choose, that that's just, it's just you, lo- you lose words. And, and for someone to be outraged and upset about it is, is totally fine to me. I don't understand fully the world, but just seeing that it kind of, it's, it's unreal, you know, that this is the world that we live in today. I would love it, um, honestly, if I could be or live in a world where, um, I'm not gonna say that nothing happens because, you know, this is a world where there's going to be issues, there's going to be problems, there's going to be um, certain things, but honestly, I just would like my children not to, ha- like me not have to have the, the conversations that my parents have with me. There's unwritten rules that, us teenagers have to follow and you know I would just like it if I didn't have to do that with my children if I could feel more safer if I could you know if my children could feel safer grow up in a world where they don't have to worry about the color of their skin their friends don't have to you know um, judge them based on the color of their skin or you know I just the world would just feel a lot safer for teenagers and black um, African Americans in general. I know I will have to have the conversation with her. At this point, it just is what it is. I don't want her to leave, go into the world and be naive. The best thing she can have is knowledge and truth. If I deny her of that, then I'm sending her out there into the world to a dangerous world. My mother was very um, adamant about letting me know that as cute and cuddly as I am in this household and you know, to the people that know and that truly know me, I'm not that same kid to people who don't know me. And it's because of the way that I look. And it was very difficult to understand and comprehend at such a young age, but those conversations have to be had. And I'm very thankful that she had those conversations because with the encounters that I've had with the police, I've been able to stay calm and know that I have done nothing wrong and not let them intimidate me in any way, shape or form. There was one time I was in high school and we were walking back from a, a high school house party. The parents, you know, were away and the kid threw a party. The cops were called and, you know, the party ended up getting broken up. On our walk back from the house party, there was a group ahead of us of teenagers that were looking through people's cars and looking in people's windows and like trying to open the cars as they walked down the road. And someone saw it happening and called the police. And those kids were lucky enough to get off the road before the police got there. But me and my friends who were walking innocently were just cornered from both sides. We were walking on, I believe it was Bridge Lane. And the cops, I think it was about five or six squad cars that came. And it was only four of us. And we were all of color. And the cops immediately assumed that it was us because a guy made a phone call that he saw people looking through his window. And we were held up against the police car. We weren't able to call our parents. They didn't allow us to do that. They said that if we wanted to call our parents, they would have to handcuff us, which as a minor, you're legally not allowed to handcuff a minor. And also you can't deny them the access to call their legal guardian in a situation like that. We, we ended up getting handcuffed and brought to the station. And while we were in the station, and I remember I was on the phone with my mother crying and telling her that I did nothing wrong and I need her to come pick me up. 
a cop comes into the room and says, I just spoke to the gentleman who called. And he said that it was a kid in a red shirt, but he was a white kid. And there was no white kids that they had stopped and taken. And it was like, how do you get that wrong? If, if he gave you that description before you guys went to go assess the situation and you took in four kids of color, like, how, how do you mistake that? If anything, you should have put me in the back of the car without cuffs and dropped me off to my home and explained to my mother what happened. Growing up, you'd hear things like, they, people would ask you, why are you more brown than me? Why is your hair different than mine? So obviously as a kid, you go home and you ask your parents or you tell your parents that this was said to me today. I was fortunate enough to grow up around a lot of white people who are, who are accepting of black people, although that sounds crazy, um, but that's the, that's the truth. But I would go home and I would ask or I would tell my mom, like, such and such said this today. And they would explain the differences in us and where we came from and things like that. I, I am blessed enough to have a very educated family and a family who has always instilled our history in us since I can since before I can remember. I've always known that there were there were differences. And it was crazy because growing up as a kid, it was like, yes, we got somewhere because of what we were taught. It was like, yes, we got somewhere. This is we were satisfied at the time until. And honestly, until most recently, now that we're all fed up about the killings, because it's not even just the killings that are the issue. It's everything. It's systemically, uh, it's educationally, it's in the workforce, it's everywhere. It's not just, oh, this is just the one issue. It's all these issues. I can say that there's been moments where I've kind of questioned things, but never really spoke up or said anything about it. It just kind of was like, oh, like, you know, this is how it is, but um, I don't think that's how it should be. I think a lot of what goes on, especially on Long Island in general, isn't talked about. So it's kind of like if you do, if you are Black and you do see something or you do um, hear about something or experience racism at all, you don't really get a chance to speak on it because it's, it's so generalized or not talked about or, you know, kind of put in the back on the back burner or hushed a little bit personally i'm grateful we have finally come to this moment because i have been going to protests since 2014 in new york city i've gone to the women's march in dc out there in the streets and in the struggle with the people and this is probably for me this is the biggest movement i've ever seen the most beautiful thing that is occurring right now is that we are getting black people to love each other, to take help, take care of one another, to not beat each other down and stuff like that. So I do think that moving forward, I don't think it's hopeless at all. I do think that moving forward to get a, to get all these communities to continue to work together and move forward and realize that we do need change. We do need to start making steps towards change and not be comfortable where we are because this is kind of like a wake up thing for a lot of people. And I, and I, I appreciate that a lot. It, it shouldn't take something like this for change to occur. Now you see governors passing laws, uh, banning chokeholds and stuff like that. Like, why wasn't that? Why was that already? Okay. I don't think it's hopeless. I do think there is a lot of hope. I do think a lot of change is going to come out of this and I'm, I'm here for it and I'm here to help make change in any way. I don't believe that um, it's hopeless because at the end of the day, if I don't do it, if I don't change, if I don't start looking at myself or um, trying to at least do something, anything, um, you know, the world, nothing will change. If we don't look at ourselves, if we don't stand up or if we don't um, 
put ourselves in these people's shoes and, you know, do things and make a change, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. The police, they need a whole... Um, Reform. Exactly. They need... Everything needs to change. Everything. Because it's not right. It's not. And, you know, that's kind of the beginning few steps that need to happen. But I definitely want to see more unity within the Black community as well. I would like to see more laws being passed to hold these people accountable. Not only the officers that may be firsthand doing the injustice and things like of that nature, but also the people that are around them that are enabling them to do this and aiding them. Anyone that's in that situation needs to step forward and say something and be held accountable. I mentioned that in my protest, we need more accountability from all police force and officers. This conversation is going to have to be had. I mean, we've been dealing with this for over 400 years and we're going to deal with it for the next hundred. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's the truth. It's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change two, three, four years from now. There's still people that are sitting in their homes right now that are protesting against equality. There's people in, in on Long Island right now that are protesting against equality and doing it openly with so much hate in their heart. So it's going to take a long time for this to be fixed. And I know I will have to have these conversations with not only my kids, but hopefully I don't have to have this conversation with my grandkids. Also, the conversations need to be had for people that are not in the black community or in the Hispanic community. The, the, uh, they need to be had in the white community as well. People need to also talk to their kids about how other children and young adults that they go to high school with or that they're, you know, peers with that they play sports with are being looked at and are, are also being targeted. It's definitely making me want to break down all, all barriers that are in my way or that have been created for Black people or just being, want, wanting to be the change that in our communities that we need and wanting to help our communities and different things like that is, is just from knowing our history and just from knowing what we've been through and knowing how far we continue, we still have to go. It makes me want to just knock everything over. Let's start over. Let's do this now. Let's make a difference now. Let's start making changes. So definitely not, not limiting, but definitely like start to fire. Closer Look is a product of Times Review Media Group. It is hosted and mixed by me, Graham Parpan. This week's interviews of Kenny Black, Jayla Moore, Carrie Brown, and Rhinus Smith were conducted by Steve Wick and recorded by Michalina DeFlon. The protest audio was recorded in Riverhead by Joe Workmeister and in Peconic by Tara Smith. This week's music was by Grapes, and it comes courtesy of CeCe Mixter. <laughs>